love coffee. But more importantly, I love families. Coffee with Parents eagerly explores all the fascinating facets of families. This podcast seeks to shine a bright, colorful light on the kaleidoscope of parents and families that exist in this world. I aim to speak with single parents, queer parents, adoptive parents, parents of children with special needs, parents struggling with addiction and mental illness, a full spectrum of families around the world. We will dig deep, have big belly laughs, embrace ugly crying, and sip that sweet caffeinated cup. Listen and love, here with your heart, and enjoy Coffee with Parents. Here is a content warning for the episode. This episode mentions stories of police brutality against the Black community popularly talked about in the media. This comes up in about the last 15 minutes of the episode. It is not talked about from the perspective of first-hand lived experience, nor are there extreme specific details of the stories. There is a conversation about growing up surrounded by white supremacist values within the context of these stories and a conversation about raising mixed black children in the current cultural climate. If any of these topics activate your central nervous system in a way that makes you feel unsafe, be aware that it is talked about around the last 15 minutes. Apart from that, the content of this episode feels relatively neutral. If you ever feel you needed a content warning that wasn't given after listening to an episode, you can always write in to Coffee with Parents at cwppodcast at gmail.com. I also wanted to give a heads up that the audio of this episode is not crystal clear. I did my best with editing, but you may need to adjust your volume a bit throughout. Thank you for your understanding, as this is currently a one-person operation. Speaking of this being a one-person operation, one more housekeeping detail before diving in. I had to pause season two to take care of my mental health and some matters in my personal life. To know more details on that, you can follow the Coffee with Parents Instagram at CWP Podcast. Thank you for your patience and understanding, and now here's Carrie on Coffee with Parents. Hey, how are you doing? Hey, Tori. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Just hanging in there today. <laughs> I didn't get much sleep last night, so. Oh, yeah. Because of the baby or? Um, no, she slept fine, actually. I was just, I don't know, in my head. I'll start solving all my problems at 2.30 in the morning. Yeah, that is frustrating. <laughs> I'm starting out each interview because this is coffee with parents by asking, what are you sipping today? If you're sipping anything. So it's actually, it's 9 PM where I am right now. So I was gonna, I was actually going to grab some hot tea and I totally forgot. So if I was sipping something, it would be like ginger hot tea. So can you just give a brief introduction of yourself? Sure. So my name is Carrie and I currently live in Kansas City, Kansas, and will be moving soon to Kansas City, Missouri in just like a couple months, which is about 15 miles away from where I Mm -hmm. live now. Um, but I moved here last summer from California. I lived in Southern California for most of my life. And, um, our family moved out here because my husband and I got a job working with, um, a youth ministry at, for a church here. And so we moved out here last summer and, we moved during the pandemic, which was an interesting time to move mm-hmm. and for a lot of different reasons. There was definitely like pros to it for sure, because it gave us a lot more extra downtime to get used to like where we were living. But then obviously the con is we couldn't fully immerse ourselves. I have two girls. One actually will be four on Thursday. And then my youngest is 
15 months. So she is basically a COVID baby. That's been interesting to see her kind of even get used to people. (laughs) I know. I hate that our kids are this like weird social experiment right now. It's really sad. I know. My oldest is definitely more of the people person, life of a party. And so she's really feeling it. And still she keeps asking like, can I go to school? Can I go to school? I'm like, not yet. How do you think your relationship with yourself on a spiritual level has changed, if at all, after becoming a parent? I would say it's changed in a lot of different ways. Um, I think in general, I feel more connected to my own personal inner child um, Mm. because I recognize like how I want to be for my children and how I want to like honor their inner child. And so I do think it's helped me be become more in touch with that. Um, I also think that it's just expanded my, my, um, understanding of like love and grace and just that, you know, with a partner and like with my spouse, we obviously we choose to love each other unconditionally, but it, there is like a different, it's a different kind of love for your child where it's not a choice. Like it's just there. Like, you know, at least that's how I feel. Yeah. Um, It's automatic. And so I think I'm just becoming more in touch with that, more aware of that. Yeah. I guess expanding that grace to myself, to other people, just that new, awakening to that unconditional love yeah I think expansion is like a good word to kind of describe what happens in parenthood (laughs) yes in general like everything (laughs) it just keeps growing Mm -hmm. (laughs) with everything (laughs) everything is expanding in some way how do you think your relationship with your body has changed if at all after becoming a parent It's definitely been a hard journey for me personally. I mean, I think it's a hard journey for a lot of women. I don't think I realized until after I had my first kid how much like weight and security I put in hearing the words like, oh, you're so pretty or you look beautiful or um, just those affirmations from people, from other people, not just my family members or my spouse, but from random people or whatever. And so then, and I heard it through pregnancy because everyone loves a pregnant woman, but for some reason they stop loving like the woman with the newborn Mm -hmm. (laughs) or that's how it feels. Um, so I heard it through pregnancy and then once I kind of stopped hearing those affirmations or compliments from other people, I think that's when I started feeling like, what's wrong with me? And really, really visually feeling like, oh, wow, like I do not look the same. Like I'm aging for one. I look exhausted, which makes me look even worse. And then of course my body is just different. Like I've weighed more than I ever have in my life. And yes, exactly. (laughs) I was going to say that earlier, like everything keeps expanding, like the size of my clothes. (laughs) So when I was pregnant with my first, I just started doing a lot of research about what our bodies can do. And I was feeling really pumped, like, yes, I'm totally going to have this baby. 
and it's going to be great. And I'm going to have like an unmedicated vaginal birth, like in 10 hours or less, like that's what it's going to be. And it's going to be awesome. And I can totally do this. And then that's like the exact opposite of what happened basically. And then ended up having a C-section. And so then I think there was other, there was other doubts that came in with that, even with my body of like, well, if I did all of this research of how all of these other people are able to birth in this way, what's wrong with me? Like, why couldn't I do this? Why couldn't I, why didn't I just, and then there's all these things like, oh, well, I should have waited to go in or I should have, I don't know, I should have like kicked people out of the room. Cause I think I, I didn't realize how self-conscious I would be in labor And there was a couple different people and who I thought I would feel fine with. But in that moment, like, I don't think I was fine with them being there. And I think my body knew that. And so then it just shut down. So anyway, so I think just feeling like a failure, even in my body and that, like, I have all these changes and in a sense, like nothing to show for it, or at least that's how I felt. And then with my second, <clears throat> same thing, I was like, all right, determined to have a VBAC and um, doing all of the things, going to a chiropractor, doing yoga, doing squats, and then she's breech. And so then it's like all of the things to turn her so that she'll be in a good position. And I was like, so determined. I wanted her, I was even trying to get her to turn while I was in labor. And then when I showed up, I had a midwife at the hospital who was honestly wonderful. Like she was so, so great. Um, but she had to go with, you know, the guidelines of the hospital that she was in. And Mm -hmm. so when I showed up, they did like, they did an ultrasound to check the baby's position. And she was still, she was footling breech and had one, one foot like straight down my pelvis and then one like out to the side. And so, which honestly sums up her personality and like, she just was there. And so, and not moving, not turning the way that I wanted her to, they were like, okay, we need to do another C-section because of blah, 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 all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And in, in that sense, I, I felt okay about it. I, cause I felt like at peace that I really did try literally everything, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) but then like, you're asking about like body image. I feel like that just played more into the, like, why am I able to like grow humans inside of me? But for some reason they don't want to come out of my vagina. And I Mm -hmm. don't know why, like, I, I'm just at a loss with that one. So that's been a struggle for sure. And I have bursts of motivation to like exercise or go on walks or things like that. But I think just with the exhaustion, it's just not there at all. And then recently last fall, I just found out I have this autoimmune, um, disorder called Hashimoto's thyroiditis. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. I've not. Okay. I had never heard of it either, but it's actually super common. It's basically a thyroid disorder that causes like underactive thyroid, which can cause even more just like exhaustion. Basically, Mm -hmm. I feel like it just like makes you really tired. Just been having no energy to do anything. So I think just trying to embrace where I'm at right now is probably my biggest hurdle, but also, you know, something I'm like constantly working on something I'm trying to like, enjoy, like enjoying the clothes that I'm in now. I, you know, like when I do my hair, so I'm going to do that. Or sometimes I don't and that's okay. Or I like wearing my yoga pants 
and that feels great to me. So just like doing what feels great (laughs) and like being okay with that. Yeah. I'm not a C-section parent, but I think that um, C-section parents often have this like really specifically unique relationship challenge that they have with their body postpartum. If you've had a C-section, you kind of get that, you know, and if you haven't, it can be hard to like understand all the nuances of that specific type of body relationship that you really have to go through just with the embracing of your body. Like it just, I don't know, because everybody's postpartum body is some type of journey within themselves mm-hmm. for the most part. Mm-hmm. But I think just having a C-section mm-hmm. has a specific layer of just added nuance to that. I know a few different people that have had C-sections that feel great about it all and great about that decision and everything, which I feel so happy for them and so great that that's how they feel about it. And so I think sometimes it's hard to even admit when there's a, when there's like a negative correlation to the C-section and like even the body or anything, because I can feel like, well, I don't want people to think I'm ungrateful for my kids because that's totally not it at all. But I appreciate the question and that it does affect my relationship with my body. It doesn't affect my relationship with my kids at all, Mm -hmm. but it totally affects my relationship with my body. Um, And even just like the touch there, like, you know, the scar part is so sensitive still. And so even like, I'm really (laughs) like, I get, if my husband even gets like close to it, I'm like, you're touching my scar. You're going to touch it. Like, I get, like yeah. it just gives yeah. me a weird, weird feeling. And so, yeah, I appreciate you saying that because I think people that have had C-sections, even if they don't admit it, I feel like need that validation. Even if they don't think they do, there is some, yeah. it's helpful to hear what you were saying before about how everybody loves a pregnant woman and then like the second the baby's out everyone's like okay can you go back in your cave now it's there was like yes there was somebody who posted it was a while ago maybe a year ago or something on Instagram but it stuck with me she was talking about that paradox and she was saying like you know when I was pregnant people were opening doors for me giving up their seats on the bus like you know just everybody just caters to you when you're pregnant. And then she's like, and then everybody turns their backs to me when my kid is screaming at the restaurant or, mm-hmm. you know, everybody mm-hmm. wants to, you know, nobody wants to support my, me and my baby. Once the baby's out, our society has like fetishized pregnant people. Yes. I remember feeling like I had more doors opened for me when I was pregnant than when I was like lugging a stroller around yeah Yeah. like people will just cut in front of me if they saw me with the stroller trying to get out like it Mm -hmm. wasn't like oh let me hold that open for you it was let me get around you as fast as possible how do you think your relationship with your partner changed if at all going from one kid to now two oh well there it is like a different dynamic I think even just introducing one child, there's now the dynamic of, okay, now we're not just thinking about each other. Now we're thinking about another person. And then adding two, it's like, okay, now we're thinking of two other people. I feel really grateful for my partner because I do feel we're definitely in a partnership. I don't feel like anything is one-sided at all. The part that is hard and where we differ is that our parenting styles can can be very different at times. I think both of us will agree that we want our kids to be safe and we don't want them to get hurt. But I tend to be a little more laid back when it comes to them playing or them getting hurt. Like I feel like it's okay if they fall down or it's okay if they get hurt, whereas my husband is 
not okay with that. You know, he doesn't want them to get hurt at all. And so, and I think he understands the reality that they will, but he'll do anything and everything in his power to prevent like even the littlest tiny fall. That's really where we can clash (laughs) and where our (laughs) dynamic can uh, get rough at times is just the the misunderstanding each other on that page and we always have to come back to like okay what is our goal both of our goal is that we don't want our kids to get hurt we just have different views of what that could mean and how to go about that yeah (laughs) how do you think your parents would describe your parenting style I have no idea honestly (laughs) um oh I'd be afraid to ask (laughs) Um, I think they would describe it more as you know patient and loving I think that's how they would describe it actually before we moved out here we stayed with them for almost a month and so they got to see (laughs) see us a lot which was honestly really really nice it was a really nice that we got to stay with them before we moved my mom has made comments before where she's like you're very you do a lot of research like, she's like, you do more research than I have ever done in my life. And <laughs> I was like, well, a part of it is that it's available to me. Yeah, you know, there's say, access is yeah. You know, huge. <laughs> yeah, Right. It's available. It's a good thing and a bad thing to have so much research at your fingertips, I feel like. Of the way that you were parented, what about that experience? Do you think benefits you the most on your current parenting journey? The biggest one is, is just being self-aware. When I think about how I was parented and how I want to parent my kid, it forces me to do the work to like grow from my past traumas and not put that on them. I feel really fortunate that I have two parents and they were together and lived, you know, I had very, very privileged, like upbringing. And I feel really grateful for that, you know, but there's also other things that didn't go how I feel like they probably should have gone. Or even I think my parents would admit they didn't go how they should have gone. Thinking about how I was parented just makes me go, wow, this is how I would want to do things. And so I'm doing the work to make sure that that's how I do them and not falling into maybe like familial patterns. Yeah. Yeah. How did you learn about sex, gender, and relationships growing up? Not in the best way, in my personal (laughs) opinion. Um, (laughs) I was given a book when I was like in fifth grade, I think. And that's what I remember is I remember that I was given a book and I remember that, you know, it had different pictures and, you know, just, it was describing like your period and what happens to your body and how all bodies are different. And in theory, I'm sure it was a really great book, but (laughs) like, I definitely had to go through it alone. I grew up in a home where we went to a Christian church and in that church, like anything related to sex or just anything about the opposite gender, it was like very um, taboo to ask about or to talk about. And even I would, you know, I remember being like to my dad, like, oh, I think I like this boy. And his response is like, no, you don't. Like, okay, like, I don't know how to respond to that. So a lot of my education, honestly, was from friends, from like, friends of friends, from friends, siblings, older friends. um, And it was not complete. Uh, And so I really didn't learn a lot till I was older and did my own like experimentation and figuring out like all of that. And honestly, I don't even know if I was ever formally taught about gender. Like I think I recently learned maybe only like two years ago and I'm 30 
too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so not until I was 30 was even the idea of gender came up. Is there a certain way you've approached or plan to approach topics surrounding sex, gender, and relationships with your kids? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is I just want my kids to feel like they can talk to me about anything. And I know parents all, I'm sure all parents say that in theory. <laughs> like, I'm yeah. sure that's how every parent feels. But I think the biggest thing is I just don't want to ever shut down or react in a way that will make them ever feel like they can't share it with me again or share something or ask something like I just feel like it always has to be an ongoing conversation and it's not just a one-time thing it has to be an ongoing conversation and there's always an open door for it with me and my husband not just me so or whoever they feel comfortable talking with more yeah are there any specific challenges you've faced or specific challenges you anticipate in the future about raising biracial children in our current cultural climate? And does that factor into your parenting? Mm -hmm. I just want to make sure my kids are in a place where there's other people that look like them in the place that we're at. I don't ever want them to feel like they're the only person of color in wherever we are. And so even we were just house hunting. And so when we were looking at different neighborhoods and different areas, I mean, that was always in the back of my mind is like, okay, is this an area where is this going to be an all white neighborhood or how is that going to factor in here? Because I do think it's important for them to see other people that look like them. Um, teachers, friends, older people, all like people of many different generations. And so, um, yeah, I think that that factors in, um, well, it definitely factored in with that decision, but also, you know, in shows we watch, books we read, I think it's something that I've just had to become mindful of to make sure that, you know, they know that, they're not alone and they're beautiful and they're perfect. And this is, there's no, there's not a white standard of beauty. Like we were living in Orange County in Southern California. I mean, it's not a, I would not call it a diverse place (laughs) necessarily. Um, (laughs) And so, you know, I think I, I probably am more like sensitive to seeing people's like looks or if they're staring or whatever it may be and it just I just never want them to feel that I never want them to feel like um that in a negative way about themselves or they have to be a certain way and and then I also feel on the other hand um that I don't want or I can feel this insecurity even from black women that I need to raise my daughters in a certain way, or I need to make sure that their hair is a certain way, or I think I feel that too. Or I want to make sure that even other people think I'm like a good enough mom for them, um, for my kids, if that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, I'm, I don't know if you could relate to any of that, but maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know we're actually looking at moving out of state right now too. Um, and that's something that we're thinking a lot about as well. How diverse is the place that we're going to? And then unfortunately, <laughs> a lot of the places that are more diverse also have a lot more tension and stuff going on. And so it's, it's really hard to find that balance of like, you know, diversity, but like the right type of diversity like I don't want them to only see people that look like them in like super unsupported neighborhoods like I want them to see themselves in you know a variety of socioeconomic classes and like you were Mm -hmm. saying generations and I just want like a full picture for 
for my current child and any future children, <laughs> I feel a little bit responsible for making sure that her upbringing isn't like totally whitewashed because if it is, I feel like that's kind of my fault because it's not going to be Joseph's fault because <laughs> mm-hmm. he's, you know, he's going to make sure that she gets like the culture and stuff. I don't know. I feel a little bit responsible for just like putting her in an environment where she can thrive that isn't just one color and it's yes. particularly not just white. Mm-hmm. I really liked how you put that of just because that's, I feel like that's what I was trying to articulate. And that totally and completely resonate with that of just mm-hmm. feeling that responsibility of not letting them have just a completely like whitewashed <laughs> childhood or life. And that, yeah, I do feel that pressure. Not that anyone has ever said anything to me at all, but, you know, I do feel that like pressure, like, well, you know, what will people think or will people, or will she feel insecure as she grows up and becomes more aware of race and differences and all of that stuff? Another thing too is like, you know, I, myself, I'm not very racial. Joseph is not very racial. So neither of us know what it's like to grow up mixed in this world. And Hmm. so we're both a little bit navigating something we don't have any firsthand experience with. (laughs) Yeah. So it's it's a challenge for both of us. I think a future challenge hasn't been a challenge yet. She's only two. <laughs> but <laughs> something we think about for sure. <laughs> yes, it's one of those one of the things that keeps us up at 2:30 in the morning. <laughs> Before you became a parent, did you have any fears about parenting? Hmm. Yes. <laughs> I think I felt um, afraid that my style of parenting would ruin their life <laughs> is Aww. pretty much how I feel <laughs> because I think I just have, you know, I've just talked to so many people where there's just so many things from their childhood and from their parents that have made them you know, irk in a certain way. And I think I do feel that really deeply, like, well, I am not going to make that happen. And that's really been a journey in itself is being okay with, I am going to make mistakes as a parent and that's okay. (laughs) Like there is, like I was talking about that grace and I have to give that grace to myself because I'm going to extend it to my kid when they make mistakes, the general fear of messing them up in some way. (laughs) Yeah. I've had to grapple with that as well. I'm just like, because it's like, yeah, you're going to make mistakes, you know, whatever. And I'm like, I just hope that it's like the types of mistakes that give them a sense of humor and not the types of mistakes that Mm. make them incapable of relationships. (laughs) Totally. Yes. What advice or ways of coping would you offer to new or prospective parents who might have some of those same fears? Thank you for listening to Coffee with Parents. If you are a Black or Indigenous-owned business, we would love to give you a free shout out with zero financial or other commitment. Please email us at cwppodcast@gmail.com. If you own a business and would like to purchase an ad spot during the show, please email us at cwppodcast@gmail.com. It would be an honor to give you a shout out. Thank you for your support of Coffee with Parents. What advice or ways of coping would you offer to new or prospective parents who might have some of those same fears? Hmm. I think just what you said, laugh a lot, laugh (laughs) at everything, because I feel like if you can't laugh at it or laugh at things they do or things they say, you're just going to be frustrated and you're going to 
frustrate yourself and frustrate your kid. A funny story, my husband, so my husband is, his father is from Panama. And so he speaks Spanish to our girls. And um, so he's been teaching them Spanish just by talking to them. And we, we have them watch like TV and movies in Spanish. Um, I'm pro screen time. I know that makes me a terrible parent, but (laughs) no way. I would be embarrassed to say how much my 22 month old watches a screen. (laughs) Same. We are in good company. It just, I don't know how people get stuff done if they don't, if I'm being honest. So, yeah. So anyways, he was reading a book with her. I don't remember what they were, but you know, they work on the alphabet in Spanish and um, they were working on something. I wish I could remember exactly what it was, but basically he was trying to get her to say something that she knew the answer to, but she just kept saying the wrong thing every single time he asked. And so he'd repeat it or she'd repeat what he was saying. But then when he would ask her the question for the answer, she'd get it wrong. And it was like, it went on for a while. Like I want to say like 10 minutes, which is a long time when you're dealing with a three-year-old. So then he was like, all right, you're going to do it. You're going to get this right. And he asked her the question and she totally gets it wrong again. And I could just see his face like completely defeated. And I just start busting up laughing. Like I just laughed so hard. And then he started laughing and I think it broke the ice and loosened the moment that he's like, okay, she's only three years old. (laughs) Like she, like, she'll be fine. She'll get it eventually. And in a case like that, I mean, that's a small little thing, but it could be easy to get frustrated about that different kind of stuff. And so think laugh. And I think the other biggest thing is don't compare yourself to other people because you just don't know. You really don't know. Even people that you think you know really well or that are like your best friends, like you just can't compare yourself or your children to other people because one, that's not fair for you. It's not fair for them. And it's just going to leave you with these really hard expectations to meet because your kid will never be like another kid and you are not like another person. And so with new parents, it's easy to compare or be like, Oh, well, why is it my kid doing that? Or why is it my baby doing that or something? But we just can't do that to ourselves. At least that's what I found. I cannot do that. (laughs) Yeah. I love the laughter advice because it's so, it can be really like easy to forget to find joy in this sometimes because there's so much joy to be had like I laugh all the time with her and stuff like right now I think that gets probably harder as they get older a little bit um (laughs) especially like they're teenagers and stuff I think it can be Mm. hard to find joy in that Mm. um But there still is so much joy to be had. And it's somehow simultaneously like the most intensely important, serious work you'll ever do is parent your children. And also mm. like, it's not that serious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like simultaneously super serious and just so not that serious. Like the individual little, like yes, the little things so today are just so not that serious you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> big mm-hmm. picture is kind of serious, but, <laughs> but like right. just those little like things that we just beat ourselves up over throughout the whole day. It's like, I can't even remember what I was like beating myself mm. up about last week, but I know it was something right. So it's like, why, why yeah. did I bother? I don't even remember it this week. And I'm certainly not going to remember it when she's a teenager and we're having completely different <laughs> challenges there, you know? So it's just, you know, yeah. Yeah. I totally did that today (laughs) when my, my 15 month old was like crying so much. And I thought that she was trying to tell me that she wanted to go outside, but she just like was crying and she kept whining. She just wanted me to hold her. She wouldn't let me put her down. And then after a while, maybe like 30 minutes, I finally checked her diaper 
and she had a full diaper and a huge diaper rash and she was like screaming when I changed her diaper and I felt so bad it's like I'm the worst mom ever I can't believe I didn't check her diaper in the beginning like what I don't know what I was thinking and she was when I thought about it I'm like that's what she was trying to tell me I thought she was pointing to the door but she was trying to point to her diaper like so anyways I felt so bad but it's true I mean she's fine like she got over it after her bath she was totally fine she's asleep now and doing great like that's not it's the okay. kind of trauma that's going to make her incapable of relationships. That's right. Hopefully not. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> Is there one thing out there, if you had to pick just one, or if there's anything at all that you would say positively impacted your parenting journey the most, like a book or a piece of advice, class, person in your life, anything like that? I feel like I always recommend when people are pregnant to take a breastfeeding class separate from like a childbirth class because I just feel like you need like a completely dedicated time just for that to like prepare mentally I Mm -hmm. honestly feel like it's more preparing mentally than physically I mean it's both but if you're not prepared mentally it's not going to happen physically I think the biggest thing that's impacted me is just having a community of moms around me. I have to have a community of people that are trying to do the same thing that I am doing. I found community in a lot of different ways, like at our church. And so we have this group that gets together once a month called Navigating Motherhood. And I feel like that's just super helpful with just different things people are learning or topics. And then also just, you know, my friends that are also parents and doing it together. I just can't be, I personally can't do it alone. I wouldn't be able to do that. I wouldn't, I need a community around me to help me for just that emotional support system. Have you given any thought to what it might be like to be a grandparent in the future? What feelings (gasps) does that bring up for you? Yes. I can't wait to be a grandma. I, it's funny. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny because I want, I would love to have so many kids because I want to have so many grandchildren. Like it's more because I want more grandchildren than Mm -hmm. I actually want more kids. (laughs) I can't wait. My parents are amazing grandparents and I'm so happy. They're like the perfect people to be grandparents. And so I want to be just like that where really I just do all the fun things and I give the gifts, I do the fun things and then I leave and it's great. It's (laughs) wonderful. So I am so excited and I hope, hope, hope that my children want to have children and that you know, that it happens. And so that I'm able to experience that in life because it just looks like such a joy. I feel like if I spend most of my life, like I said, trying not to traumatize my kids too much, that'll probably end up being what does it. This just pushes them over the edge is that I'm pressuring them too much to have kids and then they're (laughs) not going to want to have their (laughs) kids. I'm putting too much pressure on them. Yeah. I can't wait for them. I also just always feel like an old lady. So I'm just like, I'm ready. I'm ready for grandparenthood whenever it comes up. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> if you could sum up parenting in three truths, what would they be? Three truths. What's true for me about parenting is that I need people. I need friends. And I still need to have fun but that I also have a lot of fun with my toddler and that's okay. <laughs> um, I put a lot of pressure on myself at times to feel like, oh, I need to find my thing, like the thing I do for me time or whatever. And I totally feel like I have that in terms of, you know, I'm good with taking a long shower or, 
watching a good show or watching a movie, but I just like love like going out with my, my older daughter and we just have a lot of fun together. We go, we'll go to Starbucks and she gets a water cup and like a pumpkin loaf and I get my coffee or we'll go somewhere else. I guess what kind of what you were saying earlier of just finding joy, like that brings me a lot of joy, like just having fun with her like that. And so I know for me, a truth is that I just need to have that fun, not just with like my friends and myself, but also with her. The other thing is that I have to be intentional with my spouse and put effort into that relationship just as much, if not more than I put into parenting, because I know that if we're not on the same page and I'm not like loving him the way that he needs, then it's not going to go well for our parenting because we're going to be like disconnected and not on the same page. And that's not what I want my kids growing up seeing. And so putting in the effort to make sure that we are together and united and one is really, really important to me. Regarding maintaining your relationship with your partner, you know, even though you never stop being a parent, really, they're not always going to be there and he will. So it's actually like one of my biggest fears is like, okay, the last kid moves out of the house and then we look at each other and I'm like, who are you? I don't even know you anymore um, Mm -hmm. because we just didn't do that maintenance for 20 years while we had kids or whatever it is. Um, And I feel like that can easily happen. That probably happens a lot to people. How much maintenance you're doing totally impacts your parenting for sure together. Mm, Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I totally have that fear too of like when they move out, it's like, what do we do now? <laughs> yeah. But I don't ever want, I don't even want my kids to feel that, that they're my life or like that my life yeah. revolves so around them. Yeah. Yeah. Way too much pressure. And so we have to have that like with each other. What thing do you think is going to characterize our kids' generation? It's already characterizing it, but just like social media, technology, you know, we work with high school students and middle school students, and it's just devastating, honestly. There's so much pressure, and everything is so highlighted because of social media. And they have to look a certain way, act a certain way, do certain things so that it can be posted on social media so that they can be like torn apart by people or not get any attention at all. And that's even worse. Like Mm -hmm. it's just awful. So I honestly am hoping that it all comes crashing down at some point before like my kids are in middle school, but it's even coming earlier, you know, kids are having, you know, access to internet and all of that in elementary school. I hope that that's not what it is. I guess that's a really negative response. (laughs) Um, To be positive. (laughs) But I know, because now that I'm thinking about it, all of these new things are coming up with people really advocating for social justice and change and um, not ignoring the toxic things that have been happening in our society. Those, I mean, that will be amazing to see what our kids are going to do like with what this generation lays a foundation of because what generation are our kids called I forgot I don't know if they have a name yet but right now the youngest generation that has a name is Gen Z as far as I know but they're like teenagers right now so they're not really yeah Gen Z and then I think I think it goes up to maybe people just starting college, Gen Z. Yeah, I feel like they're total game changers in a lot of different Mm -hmm. ways. So I'm just interested to see then what our kids' generation does with that foundation. So that'll be kind of cool. But I I do hope that at some point, like everything just comes crashing down. (laughs) And like, yeah, or maybe we'll just like reach some kind of equilibrium with our social media relationship. (laughs) 
I'm curious. I don't know if maybe this is inappropriate to ask, so you don't have to answer, (laughs) but I'm curious how you feel like, because we did, you know, grow up in the same neighborhood and in that area, if you had experiences with anyone on social media or maybe off, well, I guess I can share where my question is coming from. So basically last summer when George Floyd was killed. And after that, there was multiple protests. Even now, another person was just killed, which is just sad. And there will probably be more. I had posted something about Black Lives Matter. It was something about the police. I don't remember fully. But I had someone who I grew up with in that area that we went to high school together that I felt like kind of jumped on my throat for like saying something and granted, I don't think I had all the information about what I was saying, but I just felt like I needed to say something and be like, I'm not going to stay silent about this, but I was just really surprised. And then when I thought about it, I'm like, I guess I shouldn't be that surprised based on where we grew up. So anyways, I am just curious just how that's been for you in, I feel like just seeing a lot of people's true colors. It's been kind of like heartbreaking for me in some ways, because I'm like, I feel terrified for my husband. We, when we moved here, our, one of our cars tags was expired and I like had so much anxiety about him driving And I'm like, I don't think that you've ever experienced that level of anxiety before. Like, anyways, I guess you can cut this out if this isn't okay to talk about, but no, it's, it's okay to talk about. And I'm also not going to spare feelings (laughs) for people who grew up in our neighborhood. So if anyone listening grew up in my neighborhood and you don't think Black Lives Matter, you might be offended, but okay with me. I mean, we grew up in like an upper middle class, predominantly white neighborhood. Like you were saying, it's like, it's heartbreaking. And also, unfortunately, not super surprising that a lot of the people, not everyone, of course, but that many people have unaddressed racism. Yeah, you can definitely see via social media, people's true colors. Silence on this issue was never okay but I think it was certainly tolerated Mm -hmm. I think I tolerated it I think I was silent for a while because I didn't want to have social media debates I didn't want to offend anyone who am I offending right I was definitely silent um longer than I should have been on social media and then yeah when I wasn't (laughs) <laughs> there was some backlash and I, I actually never unfriended or like blocked anybody because if you disagree with me, like maybe social media isn't the best platform to talk about it, but I do want to talk about it. I don't want to shy away from that, you know, just like blocking someone or whatever does in my opinion, I mean, everybody has different boundaries, but in my opinion, you know, just like blocking somebody isn't going to force them to be accountable and, and it's tricky because you can't force someone to be accountable, period, really. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I can have social media debates with people all day and never change their mind. But for me, I think it's less important that I change their mind. I mean, that would be cool, but it's unlikely. I think it's less important that I change their mind and more important that people who may be affected by racism or whatever social justice issue is on the table see that people with privilege are saying something whether that is well received (laughs) by the person who's like debating is one thing Mm -hmm. but like when I see a post on social media that's super misogynistic and then I go to the comments and it's all like yeah, fuck that bitch, you know, all this stuff. And it's just like misogynistic comments and nobody is stepping in and saying like, this is wrong. This, you know, well, especially Mm -hmm. men, like no men are saying anything Mm -hmm. that like hurts me. And I feel like it 
gives me no hope for humanity <laughs> and like just really like that affects me and that sinks into me like I see when nobody's speaking up mm. but when somebody's speaking up I don't care what who like somebody could be arguing with them and they could never change that person's mind it doesn't matter what matters to me is I saw somebody standing up for what I saw a man stand up for women or for trans people or for whatever the case is like if somebody of privilege is standing up for somebody or attempting to you know just whatever it's the attempt right and at least like mm. being able to witness that is important so when I post about stuff like that on social media it's not necessarily because I think I'm gonna like change the minds and hearts of all the racist people on my timeline or you know whatever it's mostly mm. just to say, like, I am saying something about this. I don't think this is okay. I'm speaking up about it. I'm not going to be silent on this issue. It's hard not to unfriend and to not block and to not delete. But I don't want to live in just like an echo chamber either. The line there is so blurry for me sometimes because it's just like, why? Why do I... <laughs> Why am I being, why am I forcing myself to see this like gross thing being posted? I definitely did like mute that person. <laughs> I think sometimes I feel like, oh, well, I have to be like an agent of change here. And so this, what I'm saying holds so much weight and it's like, that's not really true. And probably most people don't even fully read what I'm writing anyways. It's hard too to find the boundary of like when you put that much weight on like everything you say about stuff that you're not personally affected by, like you you are in your family, obviously, and I am too in my family, but in our personhood, we are not right. like personally affected. Right. By that. It's also like, you know, I don't want to center my voice in that conversation either and make like yeah, I'm saying something. So everybody needs to, you know, like. Yeah. So it's like that kind of puts me in check too of just like, why do I think I have all this power that I can just like change the hearts and minds of all these people? Yeah, totally. And I feel like I completely have made mistakes of doing that before, but or like in the past where it's like kind of become about me and it's like, wait, when was this ever about me? It was never about me. Why am I trying to make this about me right now? And it's true. Just like that balance of, okay, this is not about me. Let me figure out how to <laughs> navigate this in the best way. That's like a good parenting truth and life truth is like balance, navigating mm-hmm. balance with everything. For me, some of the best anti-racism work I can do is raising my daughter mm. and asking my partner what he needs I'm their community you know I'm part of their community and like they're the people who are affected by racism that are closest to me just honoring that space for them and just being there for them and doing that work as well Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. so this is like a really harsh transition that I'm about to make here (laughs) oh okay that's okay (laughs) that's totally fine dark transition if you could create a reality show that doesn't already exist about parenting, what would be the premise? <laughs> Maybe like, have you ever heard of the peanut app? Yes. Okay. Maybe it would be kind of centered around the peanut app and moms meeting each other for the first time and swiping like Tinder <laughs> and then <laughs> choosing who they want to be friends with that way. I feel like that was just hilarious. I did. I had the peanut app um, when we were living in Orange County. I loved it. And I met so many great people on it. Yeah. I, well, one woman I still talk to, I guess the others I don't ever talk to. So one, (laughs) I met one person. Yeah. I mean, it was nice to just like get to know different people. Um, But I just thought it was hilarious that I was literally swiping to decide who I wanted to be friends with. (laughs) When I became a parent of a newborn, it was just a lot lonelier than I thought it was going to be. So I just needed different ways to like meet people. (laughs) (laughs) So I tried everything. (laughs) Yeah. 
but that might be a funny reality show oh yeah (laughs) so the last question before moving on to the game section do you have any words of wisdom encouragement or support for other parents out there Mm, just keep going wake up every day your child needs you that's it (laughs) all right so this is the game section um (laughs) it's gonna be really fast there's just three games okay okay so the first one is called items in a room so name five items you see in the room with you right now well I just looked up in my wonders right there so my bra Mm -hmm. um perfume a planter and a picture frame well that's four and a printer if you had to pick two of those items to give to help out a new parent, what would they be and why? Oh, that's funny. Um, <laughs> definitely the bra because it's a nursing bra, so it might come in handy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, and I guess the planter, well, it's actually a pot. We, I killed the plant and so it's just <laughs> an empty pot, but that might be nice for like, if they want to put a plant in it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so the next one is pretty self-explanatory. You've probably done it before, but it's two truths and a lie. So tell me three things about yourself. One of them is a lie and I'll try to guess which one's the lie. Okay, okay. The first thing is, is that I love ketchup. I like to watch pimple popping videos to go to sleep. And the third thing is, is that I love eating cookie dough raw. Oh no. I don't think you watch pimple popping videos to go to sleep. I think you like ketchup and I think you eat cookie dough raw. Am I right? Is that your final answer? Yes. So I actually hate ketchup. Oh no. What? <laughs> so mad that that's true. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. It's also very soothing. Like if anyone watches Dr. Pimple Popper, it's just weird, but like strangely relaxing. Well, I mean, millions of people watch it, so it must be true. All right. So the last game is a 20 rapid fire word association. Okay. And I know. <laughs> I'll say a word and then you just say the first word that comes to mind when you hear it. Okay. okay. Parenting. Love. Body. The only thing that came out of my mind was image. Mm. But I don't know if that's a good but I don't know. I'll just keep it. Fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Earth. Exhausting. Toddlers. Loud. Home. Coffee. <laughs> Childhood. Running. Generation Z. Old. Fascinating. Call it. Oh, just sadness. My second had call it. Fun. Hair loss. Ancestors. Um, mystery. Healing. Mm, spiritual. Stories. Generational fertility, 
grateful. Newborn. The smell. Harry. Shoulders. Sam. Partner. Family. United. You made it. Wow. <laughs> that was a lot of pressure. I don't know well, why. You did great. <laughs> Thanks. You did great. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. Okay. Bye. coffee with parents if you're interested in being a guest on the show i'd love to hear from you i love to hear from all types of parenting experiences including experiences of loss such as miscarriage or abortion step parents surrogate carriers adoptive parents foster parents people who parented their siblings and more All parent and family types are welcome, encouraged, and accepted and embraced on this podcast. Please email us at cwppodcast at gmail.com if you have something to share. Okay, human beings, that concludes episode four of season two of Coffee with Parents. Thanks for listening and love. Thanks for all your support. And special thanks to Carrie for helping me brew up this episode. Stay caffeinated. Bye. 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 Bye.